0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again as we turn to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15, I think we tied together everything out of verses 13 through 15. And uh, we can take a look at verses uh, 16 and 17 here this morning. Two of our better than verses. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. So we have two better than passages. All right, before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to set aside our distractions, to humble us under the authority of the Word of God, shall we pray? Dear Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the blessing that we have to assemble together. We call upon Your faithfulness, Father, to bless our study, to set aside our distractions. Father, to hedge us about and protect us. Father, uh, thank You for all of Your grace. Uh, Bless our time of study today. Provide clear thinking on the part of the speaker, on the part of the hearers. Uh, Allow us to feast upon Your truth. I thank You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so, yes, last week and the week before, I think, we uh, we tackled 12 uh, through 15. And uh, these verses go back and forth because really 12 and 14 center on a concept and then 13 and 15 center on a concept. And so uh, as we deal with that, uh, verse 12 says, A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. And uh, that's in poetic parallel with verse 14 the mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge but the mouth of fools feeds on folly and so we we uh we have to stop and ask ourselves uh, why are we eating this <laughs> why do we like this uh, and why do we not go to the tough teacher why do we not go to the one that speaks the truth uh is he reproving me well maybe i deserve it i probably should pay attention to it uh this is obviously something that i need and uh, I don't need all this other foolishness. In fact, the time is so short, why would I waste my time with that kind of foolishness? And so we ask the question and we put it on the screen, um, who do we go to and why? You know, why do we pick and choose the teachers that we pick and choose? Do we want to have our ears tickled? And that's the uh, the admonition there in, in 2 Timothy 4 verses 3 and 4 that in times of apostasy this is what people will collect to themselves. They will gather to themselves teachers according to their own desires wanting to have their ears tickled. So who do we want to hear? Who do we not want to hear? Who do we avoid? And uh, like in 1 Kings 22 when, when uh, Ahab says, well yeah I do have a Yahweh prophet in town but I hate him. I don't want to go to him. I don't want to hear anything he has to say. And, uh, cause he always prophesies evil against me. He said, well, yeah, you're a wicked king, you're married to Jezebel, you got these 400 prophets of Baal, and, and, uh, no wonder the Yahweh prophet has hostile things to say against you. And, uh, and things there. So, anyway, it becomes a gut check for us when we stop and ask ourselves, uh, why do I not want to hear what, what that guy's saying? Then in uh, verses 13 and 15, we have, uh, heart conditions. And if you have a heart condition, you've got to ask yourself, why do I have a heart condition? Uh, but this is the spiritual heart. This is the the core of your being, that dividing asunder of soul and spirit to the very core of who you are. That's your heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And, and your heart condition, if it's healthy, then there's going to be benefits. If it's not healthy, there's going to be consequences, see? Heart conditions are, are they going to impact physical and spiritual well-being. And so uh, when you look at it in verses 13, 15, and 30, I think it becomes undeniable. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. So there is a physical uh, impact with a cheerful face. There's a spiritual impact with a broken spirit. And uh, to the core of your being, it will have impact in both the outer man and the inner man. The outer man perishes day by day, but the inner or the outer man perishes, but the inner man is renewed day by day. We get that as the as the reality here for our being. We have a duality of our human existence. Yes, we have the physical, but we also have the spiritual. The heart can impact both, as we see there. The cheerful face is the body, the broken spirit is the spirit. Then verse 15 All the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. And so having a bad day does not determine where our heart condition is. It doesn't, you know, just because we're having a bad day doesn't mean we have to dwell on that badness and poison everything else. We can dwell on the Lord instead of dwelling on the bad day. It says, uh, you know, rejoice always. And so rejoice, don't rejoice in the circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, the, it doesn 't change the bad day. The bad day is still a bad day. you know you still have a flat tire, you still crashed your car you still you know whatever else happened. Uh, crummy things happen. We get that crummy things happen to believers, crummy things happen to unbelievers and uh, but don 't let the crummy things impact the heart attitude to uh, destroy the heart condition. You can still have this cheerful disposition, this cheerful heart. Uh, can can feast as far as the cheerful heart is concerned. Today is a feast day, and uh, as far as that goes. So anyway, that was the material we covered, which brings us now to verses sixteen and seventeen. Uh, verses sixteen and seventeen are the second and third out of the nineteen better than proverbial contrasts in the book of Proverbs, and so we can take the time to look at these. We've had one already. The first one came up back in chapter twelve. So flip back a couple pages to Proverbs chapter twelve. There are nineteen of them all together. Why are there nineteen? Is that code for something? Is nineteen a special number? Um, no. <laughs> Just short answer. Okay. Uh, unless you're a weirdo or you're, there is some. Uh, the Muslims get crazy about the number nineteen for different reasons, and Louis Farrakhan gets crazy about the number nineteen for different reasons. But he is a total nut job, so don't pay attention to anything he has to say, all right? Um, he, he hates the Jews, he's very anti-Semitic, he's very anti-Christian and uh, every time I see him I think, and, and But one of his big deals is the number 19, okay? Totally irrelevant to what we're looking at here today. All right, Proverbs 12.9, better. The wicked man desires the booty, am I reading the right verse? 12.9, better. Is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread, and uh, i'd have to hunt through the website and look back and figure out what what m p three that was when we were teaching that verse, but back in the in the chapter twelve section there you can find it, but you might recall the the uh, the issue here is is what is your status, what is your reputation what is uh, how do, what does public opinion hold you to? And uh, are you lightly esteemed? <gasps> that means your uh, your poll numbers are down. That means that you don't have the uh, you don't have the accolades. You don't have the um, you know TMZ isn't running features on you or some of the other entertainment channels, and and uh, you're just not viewed as as a celebrity. You're not viewed as as a person of importance, and uh, so you're lightly esteemed, and so your culture just writes you off as being uh, as being irrelevant. Okay. And uh, and Proverbs says, you know what? That's okay. In contrast to, as a comparison, if if one thing is better than something else, in comparison to the second part of this, he who honors himself and lacks bread. He who honors himself and lacks bread. And so if you become a self-promoter, if you become an artificial, uh, an artificially popular fellow, but it's all manipulation, and it's all what you've done to boost those numbers, and it's all your own uh, efforts to drive up the poll numbers, to drive up the public opinion. And look what it costs you. You lack bread. You are so deep in debt that uh, anything you buy, even your daily food, is on borrowed time. It's on borrowed money because uh, your net worth is is underwater, below zero, and, uh, you think about the, uh, the expenses and what people go to to, to keep their popularity up, to keep their public image up. Ooh, you know, I can't possibly send my kids to school with last year's fashions or the year before or something from the, from Goodwill. You know, they've got to have the latest, the greatest, the top shoes, the, the, you know, big. Why? Why do they have to have all that stuff? Because we're competing with, you know, we're keeping up with the Joneses. We're competing up with the neighbors. And, uh, and so forth. Anyway. Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a slave or a servant. The idea there, okay? Of course, in the ancient world, slavery was normal and part of what they were doing with. By the way, that was considered in the Roman era, under the Roman Empire, if you didn't have even one slave, that was the mark of poverty. That was the boundary between uh, whether you were allowed to vote or not, whether your citizenship counted. Okay, now, they wouldn't strip you of your citizenship. But uh, if you could, if you didn't have even a single slave, then you were considered a uh, destitute. You were considered a vagabond, and and uh, that you know, still a Roman citizen. But your vote was not going to be cast in the uh, in the uh, next election. Anyway, the um, different things there. All right, so that was Proverbs twelve nine. Clearly, you want to uh, you want to uh, not be in debt as it relates to that. Then what we have today is in Proverbs 15. We'll detail those here momentarily. Let's look ahead at some of these other ones. uh, There's four of them in chapter 16. So we had just one already. We have two here. And then we're really going to get in the thick of it in chapter 16. Verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. And that one's quite similar to uh, the one we're seeing this morning because it's talking about uh earthly wealth versus spiritual wealth. It's talking about how uh, how much money we have here on earth in uh, contrast to our righteousness and our righteous standing before the Lord. So better is little with righteousness. That there's it's not uh it's not wrong, it's not sinful to be of modest means in uh, in these applications than great income with injustice. Verse 16, how much better it is to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. So if you're in an either-or contrast, and you have to choose whether it's this or that, you know, then you know what to choose. You know what the priority is, and what when, when push comes to shove, I like to ask myself, what is it you're pushing, and what is it you're shoving? <laughs> you know, when push comes to shove, when, when something has to give, What gives? And ask yourself this: If it, if it becomes an either-or, it's like render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. And uh, in, in great circumstances, you do both simultaneously, and you're not you're not forced into a dilemma of either this or that. See, you're not placed under the difficult circumstances of having to defy Caesar in order to obey God, right? But if God puts you in those circumstances, if under a time of testing, you find that rendering unto God causes you to defy Caesar, then now you've got to make that choice, don't you? You have to say, well, um, whom am I going to serve? See, and, uh, and it's the same thing here. You won't have to necessarily make this choice every single time. Uh, you may be able to have both. You may be able to have gold and wisdom. You may be able to have silver and understanding, right? It's not like it always has to be an either or. It could be both and and when it is praise God for it. When it is then collect your gold, collect your silver and thank him for that and collect your wisdom, collect your understanding, thank him for that and and keep going. It's only when he puts you in those difficult circumstances then that you have to you have to make that choice, okay? Is that making sense? And uh, and I think you have similar aspects too with respect to anything because it really comes down to our uh, subjection, what it is that we're in subject to. We're going to be subject to God's economic laws. We're going to be in subjection to God's uh, biblical laws, to his truth laws in our Christian walk. And um, if you find yourself a, a, the wife of a husband that doesn't have spiritual priorities, then what do you do? You know, I'm mean, going I want to be subject to my husband because the bible says be subject to my husband I want to be subject to the lord because the bible says be subject to the lord and ideally I'm doing both I'm doing both simultaneously I'm doing both all the time until until a situation arises and then uh, and then the, the husband uh puts you in a tough spot and uh who uh, says uh you know I don't want you going to church tonight cuz we're going to do this or I don't want you supporting that missionary because I want this. And then now for, a, for an occasion you find yourself saying, okay Lord um, yeah, and you pray. <laughs> you say, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And you pray. And you say I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to defy the Lord, but I'm, I want to be in subjection to my husband. So how do I make this decision? And wisdom will allow you to do that. Alright, so we have the better than statements. Still in chapter 16, verse 19, better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And uh, again, this contrast, it's the better than. Nothing necessarily wrong with the one thing except for the fact that uh, you're associating with arrogant people as opposed to um, the first half of the verse. And so we I think we taught this, and we'll teach it again this morning. When you have the better than statements, it's taking really to, uh, the same situation and putting it in, a different, in different categories, right? And it's not to say there's anything necessarily wrong with the one that's not so good, right? Just this is better. It doesn't mean that this is sinful. It doesn't mean this is wrong. It just means that this is better, and here's why. Because of the other circumstances that go with it. And so we're not saying gold is evil, we're not saying silver is evil. Nothing wrong with silver and gold. Thank God when He gives it to you. But if it comes at the expense of your Christian growth, now we got a problem. That's what makes it better or not better. And same thing here, humble versus proud. You know, I think that when Jesus was eating with the humble... When Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and whatever, I mean, he's he's eating with folks who need to get saved, and he's eating with folks, and he's avoiding the Pharisees. Well, I would too. Are you kidding? A bunch of arrogant jerks. Are you kidding me? And uh, they they think that they're better than everybody else under the sun. And who wants to spend a, a, a night with those kind of guys? And uh, beyond the fact that if you're if you're associating over here with these guys, you, you'll have an audience that'll be receptive to truth. Anyway, more applications that come with that. Then verse uh, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he he who captures a a city. All right. (coughs) Chapter 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. This one relates well to uh, what we're going to see this morning as we talk about vegetables versus meat. We talk about the dietary uh, preferences and uh, what's better than the other and why is this better than that, all things else being equal. (coughs) Excuse me. All right. So better is a dry morsel and quietness with it. You know, is it is it ideal? Do you want to eat it all the time? You know, do you want to eat uh, sea rats seven days a week, or or uh, MREs, or uh, you know, all the freeze dried stuff that the military served? And and uh, I, I no, <laughs> you know, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Uh, verse twelve of chapter seventeen. Let a man meet a bear. Robbed of her cubs, that's better than rather than a fool in his folly. <laughs> All right, that seems hilarious. Um, you know, if you're if you're standing in front of Mama Bear and her cubs are gone and she thinks you had something to do with it, <laughs> you're you're not you're not going to have a very good day there. That's 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 terrible. And and Proverb says that's better than a fool in his folly. Okay? Does that seem like hyperbole? Does it seem extreme? Does it seem like well, come on, that's just, you know. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, included in the Scriptures, and uh, and I believe it. Alright? Chapter uh, 19 in verse 1. I remember one time in Germany we, were, uh, we had missed the bus from the missile site down to base and we didn't want to wait for the next one. So we decided, hey, we'll just walk, you know. And it was about three miles, but it was all downhill, so it wasn't too bad. And we said, okay, we can just walk through the woods, and uh, we'd done it before, we knew the way. So uh, we we start huffing and we start making our way through the woods, and wouldn't you know it, we come not a bear, we come across a boar, we come across a wild boar, a mother boar with her piglets. Right, six or seven piglets, and it was just the cutest thing. It was like uh, a cartoon, even right, where the mama pig, the mama boar, is going along, and then and then they're just nosed. The, they got the snout with a tail, and they're kind of linked together like uh, like linked sausages, right? And and just, but they're still living. They're they're trotting along, and it was just so cute, and it was so precious. And we think, wow, you know, there's a mama and her babies, and then. Once we got over the cuteness of it, because it looked so much like a cartoon, then we just kind of froze in our tracks. And we thought, that's a mama boar and her babies. And if she gets mad at us or thinks we're a threat, you know, those boars are vicious. We'll get trampled and you know, in, in nothing flat. So we just froze and stopped. And we started going the other way. And then we started running the other way. And uh, yeah, it was one of the more terrifying things I've ever had in my life. All right, so that's uh, my illustration of chapter 17. But chapter 19 and verse 1, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Nothing wrong with poorness. If God puts you in those conditions, that's where He's got you and that's where He wants you. Uh, The issue here is integrity versus uh, perversity. And uh, the Bible would not recommend that we celebrate perversity, even though that seems to be the uh, catchphrase of... uh, of our generation. Um, Verse 22, what is desirable in a man is his kindness. It is better to be a poor man than a liar. And why is it that so many of these are centered on wealth? Centered on money? Centered on, I mean, almost every single one of them, or not all of them, but a a clear majority of them. a, A substantial segment of these better than contrasts are uh, are using financial uh, realms to, to illustrate. I don't think that's an accident. So what is desirable in a man is his kindness, his loyalty, his chesed. It's better to be a poor man than a liar. And I don't know, I think Proverbs probably uses the, the money thing because the money thing is what becomes most important to most people. It just seems like uh, you know, most people when they're when they're considering uh, their finances and considering uh, life and whatever, uh, they view uh, poverty as like the worst thing imaginable. And so here's Proverbs giving us you know twenty things. There, well maybe fourteen out of these nineteen, giving us a whole you know a dozen things that are worse than uh, than a thin budget. Okay, there's a whole lot of things that are worse than than. Uh, Financial humility. All right. So get some chesed. And in 1922, we have that. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 9 and 19. It is better to live in a corner of a roof. Why are the ladies laughing? I haven't even read the second part of the verse yet than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Okay? Now you can laugh. Alright. You knew where this was going, right? You know, how big is the house? You know, yeah, not big enough. Yeah, Even 3,000 square feet, 5,000 square feet, 20,000 square feet. Just take the corner of the roof, find a little, you know, man cave. Just kind of wall something off and, and hide there, if you will. Um... Anyway, it's it's the the, the contentious woman is a problem in the house, and uh, obviously, so wisdom deals with that. Verse nineteen: Better to live in a desert land. So you know, at a certain point, even the corner of the roof is that's long enough there too. Let's let's leave there and go to the desert than with a contentious and vexing woman. Chapter 22 and verse 1, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Favor is better than silver and gold. Chapter 25 and verse 7. These are in the additions that Hezekiah added 300 years later, 200 years later after Solomon. These proverbs make canonical status. It is better than, uh, that it be said to you, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince, whom your eyes have seen. And Jesus spoke on this, right? If you take a seat of honor and then the, the host of the dinner party says, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, I, I want to put somebody here that I'm honoring and you can go sit over there at the kitty table and <laughs> be, be, count your blessings. I don't just throw you out of here altogether. 25-7, 25-24. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than the house shared with a contentious woman. That's a repeat. Hezekiah liked it so much he added it to uh, where Solomon had already put it. Chapter 27 verse 5. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. There you go. That's going to be a good one to deal with. Open rebuke is preferable to concealed love. And uh, we're almost done with these. Verse 10. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. Boy, there's a principle. And of course we have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We can appreciate that. Chapter 28 and verse 6 is the final one. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. All right. Another repeat similar to 19.1. Anyway I think next time I'm going to put little marks on those to spotlight, maybe a little asterisk or a little something, a little tag on those verses to so where we can count the ones that center on the money because so many of these are using financial uh, contrast to demonstrate the real priorities in the Christian way of life. All right. So verse 16 get back here better is a little with the fear of the lord than great treasure and turmoil with it great the turmoil what price are you willing to pay turmoil when we lose our fear of the lord better is a little with the fear of the lord here's fear of the lord minus that nothing else matters okay with that you don't sweat the, uh, the financial testing. Then great treasure and the turmoil with it. Because you abandon the fear of the Lord, man, you just open yourself up to chaos. Hello, chaos. Doctrine gives you stability. When you abandon doctrine, when you abandon the fear of the Lord, you're just opening yourself up to the whirlwind, to the, to the chaos. So the financial spectrum is diminished in priority when juxtaposed with the fear of the Lord. Right? The things of earth grow strangely dim. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added. The these things there is what you will eat, what you will drink, the money, uh, all this other stuff. God knows you need those things. So quit highlighting them. Quit magnifying them. The more you dwell on them, the bigger you're making them. You're making them a bigger deal than they ought to be because your focus is not on the first things first. So the financial spectrum is diminished in priority when juxtaposed with the fear of the Lord. And uh, I just think it's undeniable. We've already read these Proverbs, right? Proverbs 15, 16, 16, 8, 28, 6, have we not? Yes, we have. They're all up above there in, uh, in that. But notice, it's almost like it's meaningless. It's almost like it doesn't matter at all, because it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't matter at all. You say, well, pastor, I don't believe you. It's important to me, okay? Step back. Think bigger. Stop thinking just in the now, in the moment, in the now, in the right now. And I get it. There's bills, and you don't see how to pay them. I get it. And in the now, it's a big deal, because you're staring at it and making it bigger and bigger the more you're staring at it. I get that in the now, in the moment. But Scripture is not addressing the in the now, in the moment. Scripture is addressing Alpha to Omega, the totality on an eternal scale. Momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory. And so uh, we take anything, anything here in time, anything here that's transient, anything here that we've you know, we're talking about making a, a mountain out of a molehill. quit it, okay? Put that mountain back down into the molehill, make it even smaller than a molehill. And that's the uh, the thing there I think psalm thirty seven goes so marvelously with uh, with this, and then of course, Matthew six, I didn't put that on the screen, but it's it's uh, appropriate psalm thirty seven And uh, it's a Davidic psalm, and notice, I mean, the key verse is verse 16, but um, I think the attitudes that feed that are universal. So Psalm 37, uh, do not fret because of evildoers, do not be envious toward wrongdoers. And maybe the worst thing in the world for your Christian walk is when you're looking at other people and you wish you had what they had. okay? And those aren't the kind of people you should be looking at anyway. Evildoers? Wrongdoers? Are you kidding me? And you're fretting? And, and, and so, I mean, does that bother you? That you're, you're walking the straight and narrow and you're living the Christian walk and you're doing good things and, you're, and then you're looking at this, this heathen and, uh, how, you know, why is he not in hell yet? Why is he not dead yet? Why is, uh, and why does he have all this? All this, these millions of dollars? Why does that bother you? Scripture says, quit, quit worrying about it. Don't be envious. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. So in the moment, in the here and now, it seems like they got everything. But, but think about it like the grass that that fades trust in the lord and do good dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness chesed cultivate i think it's chesed there too faithfulness so trust in the lord and do good quit worrying about that get your eyes off of that just keep your eyes on the lord walk by faith and uh, cultivate faithfulness delight yourself in the lord he will give you the desires of your heart if you're desiring the wrong thing he's not going to give you those things but delight in the Lord as he transforms your heart you'll see the desires that he provides. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the, as the light and your judgment is as the noonday. Well when's he going to do that? I'm tired of waiting. <laughs> well the judgment seat of Christ for all eternity. You want it here and now? Why, why do you want it here and now? You want to front load that? Whatever you get here and now, you're leaving behind when you're out of here. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. And notice all that repetition of fret, fret, fret. Notice all the repetition of this. This is the turmoil Proverbs is speaking about. This is the turmoil. When you're earthly-minded, when you're just wrapped up around the dog-eat-dog dog and the rat race and getting ahead and all this other stuff, when you're just, when you're living in that, in that turmoil, I mean, there's no faith rest in that. And that's just, it's a horrendous existence. And even when you're successful, you still don't rest in that because, well, what if it's taken from you? What if you lose it? What if, uh, you know, and you've got all these other worries and, and, and things, you know, that rich man, he didn't quit fretting. We're talking about Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man didn't, didn't quit fretting. Even after he was dead, he was still fretting. He's, he's over there in torments and he's all fretting about his brothers and all these other things. Lazarus was just resting in Abraham's bosom and being comforted. All right, so cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, And the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for this place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. I think Jesus had this whole psalm in his mind when he spoke the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. Okay? And, uh, you know, you're all worked up over what he's doing. Guess what? Guess what? He's worked up over what you're doing. I don't know why you're bothering him, but uh, he doesn't like what you're doing. The Lord laughs at him for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. Boy, they hate you. They hate what you're doing. And you either got to line up with them or they're going to tear you down. Their sword will enter their own heart. Their bows will be broken. See, God's got you. He knows what you're doing. So, Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. That's the better than. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. In the days of famine they will have an abundance. It's just such a beautiful psalm. And it goes on. It goes all the way down. It's got 40 verses here in this psalm. But you see that that better than proverb comes right there in the midst of it. Everything that leads up to it, everything that follows it, it's all it's the centerpiece of this uh of this entire song. <coughs> all right. Do I read the whole thing for you? We have time. The um where did I stop? Verse 18? 19? All right. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. <laughs> you yeah, know, well, How many times, Lord, I've got to forgive my brother? Seven times. And Jesus said, oh, 70 times seven. Keep forgiving, keep lending, keep being gracious, keep demonstrating the grace of God. For those blessed by Him will inherit the land, and those cursed by Him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. He delights in his way. See, so, you know, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. He directs your steps. Just walk by faith. Don't sweat the other stuff. The, the money you think you deserve, when you need it, He'll give it to you. When you can handle it, He'll give it to you. For the time being, He's withholding it, and, and thank Him for doing that. And um, if, if you're going to complain about your circumstances, just stop right there and recognize what you're doing. You're actually complaining against the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I don't like my circumstances. You're directing my steps. Get with the program. Direct my steps in the way I think I should go. Okay? And when you phrase it that way, I think it's brutal, but I think it's brutally honest and I think it's good. Because then that stops you to say, wait a minute, Lord. I, uh, I should stop grumbling and in my lamentation I should acknowledge that in your grace and in your glory you are directing my steps. And so, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to like it, but I am going to walk by faith and trust you that this is uh, these are the steps you have me on. So put it back on Him. So don't complain about what I'm going through. Celebrate how faithful He is because my steps are established. He delights in His way. That God's got me on a path He wants me on and He's, he's having fun with it. He delights in it. He enjoys putting me here. So... There it is. Okay, and and is that useful? I hope it's useful. I, I try to do the same thing too with Jesus Christ as the head of the church. I absolutely do the same thing with Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And if I, if I encounter criticism, and I encounter different things, and believers are struggling, and uh, and they're going to be, of course, they want to blame. They're going to blame the pastor. They're going to blame other things going on, and and whatever. And so they don't like this, this, and they have got a long laundry list of stuff they've got a problem with. And so I. Just kind of stop and a little twinkle in my eye, and I say, "Yeah, yeah." Isn't that sad? How crummy Jesus Christ is doing as head of the church. You know, breaks the heart, doesn't it? That the head of the church is such a moron that he put that pastor in that pulpit. Wow, you know, what was he thinking? Okay, and then, uh, and then, you know, so you use some sanctified sarcasm there, just uh, you know, for the shock value of it. And then the person's like. What are you talking about? What you, how, you know. Well, is he or is he not the head of the church? Scripture says he is. Does he walk in the midst of the lampstands or not? Scripture says he does. Does he hold the stars in his right hand or not? Scripture says he does. All right. And so all of this criticism, just start throwing it at Jesus and see how well that sticks. Okay? And 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 just ask yourself: what am I really criticizing? What am I really rebelling against? You know, Moses told his critics, You're not rebelling against me. You're rebelling against the Lord. All right. So, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. And this was the most precious verse. I won't say the name, but you know the man that that went to prison for 15 years, and this was his favorite verse. This verse right here, when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. And the image that he had on this, you know, the image of, you know, when you're walking along and you're walking with a toddler, you know, and you're walking along and you're holding his hand, and, and of course he's just a little guy. And he and you're walking with this little guy. And what happens when he falls? Because he's just a toddler. Toddlers toddle, that's what they do. And they fall, don't have very good balance, and they fall, but they don't smash their face. Why? Because you're holding their hand. Right? You're holding their hand. And so then what happens? Then they're just kind of dangling like some kind of a, you know, a toy puppet or some kind of a stuffed animal or whatever. And they're dangling and, and hanging there because you're holding on to their hand. And so then you pick them up and you set them back down. Now they're on their feet again. Now they're not dangling anymore. Say, are you good? Are you good? Right, let's go. And you keep walking some more. And think about it, and this was the image, and this is the, the 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 Bible class that he preached on. This is the idea that, you know, here you are as a child of God, and you've stumbled, and you've stumbled, but He won't let you fall headlong. Now you're in that place where you're just dangling there, like the like the little puppet, and uh, if you quit fighting him, if you re- stop and rest and relax and allow Him to put you back on your feet, you can proceed. See? That's a beautiful picture. All right. Because the Lord is the one who holds His hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or His descendants begging for bread. Been around a long time. He's never seen anybody regret walking with the Lord. Never seen anybody regret Who uh, walking with the Lord was a mistake or it cost them, or they they suffered, and and no, he takes care of his own. All day long he is gracious in lands, his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. The Lord loves justice, he does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. Come on, I'm not even yeah, I'm halfway through. This is a forty verse psalm. Um, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, his tongue speaks justice, the law of his God is in his heart, his steps do not slip. You've You've internalized doctrine. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord would not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off you will see it. So just wait. Wait on the Lord. Humble yourself for the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you the proper time. And in most cases, the proper time is glory. The proper time is the judgment seat of Christ when we can handle it. I have seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passes away and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and behold the upright, for the man of peace will have a posterity. But transgressors will be altogether destroyed, the posterity of the wicked will be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, but He he is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Okay, there I did it. I read all 40 verses of Psalm 37. But it does, I mean it just, it causes things to be in perspective, the whole financial spectrum from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor and all the layers in between. And wherever you happen to fall on that spectrum on this day, all of that is diminished in priority. Am I walking in the fear of the Lord? That's the eternal picture. Then there's the love hate antithesis. <laughs> The love hate antithesis establishes the clear inferiority for vegetarians. Proverbs 15:17 All right. Again, is there anything wrong with eating vegetables? Nothing wrong at all. Anything wrong with eating meat? Nothing wrong at all. What's better? Well, here's the contrast. Here's the contrast. Um, the vegetarian exclusivity, and I don't mean to blend vegan with vegetarian. That, that's, that's not fair. There's a, there's a distinction, okay? And not every uh, vegetarian, uh, not everybody that, that employs a vegetarian dietary lifestyle is a vegan political activist, okay? So that's, uh, that's not fair. But, better is a dish of vegetables than a fattened ox. Now, but see, only in the contrast where love is, in contrast with hatred. So it's the love-hatred antithesis. It, it requires the love-hatred antithesis in order to promote vegetables over meat. Right? Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. So that fattened ox is normally better than the vegetables unless it's the, the hatred environment as opposed to the love environment. And so that becomes the antithesis. Same thing in uh, seventeen one, Because without the love-hatred contrast, clearly the oxen is better than the vegetables. 17.1. Better is a dry morsel. We saw this already. Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it. So if you're just eating the beef jerky, if you're just eating the dry morsel, if you're eating the travel rations of of something that's, uh, uh, well, that's better. As long as you're in the quietness and tranquility of the fear of the Lord. than a house full of feasting where you've got wet, dry meat, all kinds of delicacies, you've got wine then uh, a house full of feasting with strife. So clearly quietness is better than strife and feasting is better than the dry rations in normal circumstances unless it comes in the, uh, at the expense of the strife. Daniel, this was the whole point of Daniel when the, the boys were captured and taken to Babylon. And uh, they put themselves on this vegetarian diet because of the idolatry connected to the Babylonian feasting, and the Babylonian meat products. Daniel 1. And... Um, So these boys get captured, they're part of the hostages that's supposed to keep uh, King Jehoiakim in line, and uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and then they're given pagan names. The commander of the officials assign new names to to them because they're going to be broken. If you take children out of their parents' house and you take them to a government educational structure, you can damage their Christian heritage by, by impressing upon them a pagan worldview right? remain. Don't we see this? And so he gives them names of Belteshazzar. That's a name that's uh, giving glory to Bel, the, the uh, Babylonian god. To Hananiah calling him Shadrach. To Mishael calling him Azariah Abednego. Uh, so we have pagan names. All of these are, are names connected to false gods, connected to the Babylonian pantheon. And uh, they have to be referred to with those names. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And so here is a, here is a, 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 a diet that is superior to the alternative. This is the, this is the choice. This is the best. There's no table in Babylon better than this table. This is, a, this is a dining hall. It's like if you have a choice to eat at an army mess hall or an air force mess hall. 99 times out of 100, no, 100 times out of 100, go to the Air Force. They're going to have the better food. all right. If you're going to have a chance to eat at the king's table, you you have access to come into Nebuchadnezzar's dining room? Are you kidding me? Hello? Yes. It's the best stuff there. But it's defiling. And Daniel and his friends had the spiritual capacity to recognize that. And so Rather than defile themselves, they don't want to go into that dining hall. They don't want to go eat that food. God granted Daniel favor and compassion on the side of the commander of the officials. But now the commander's got a problem. He says, I want to help you. You found favor in my eyes and I want to help you. But I've got a problem. I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. Or why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age then he would make me forfeit my head to the king with this diet you're going to be malnourished with this diet you're not going to be as as well fed the uh, you know you're not going to get your freshman 15 that uh, the other college kids are getting when they uh put on those you know what I'm talking about you put on those pounds in the uh Yeah. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, you're wrong. He says, you're absolutely wrong. There's nothing wrong with being vegan. I'm going to be just as as, uh, nutritious as you. It's actually a misreading of the text. This is a miracle. God is going to bless these boys despite their diet. Test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, and the appearance of the youths for eating the king's choice food. And deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, is this a universal rule for veganism, for vegetarianism? That if all the other students had likewise eaten vegetables only, would they have been just as plump and fat? Would they have been, or would they have lost weight? What would their circumstances have been? The point being is that God has His hand on these boys and He's teaching them, He's blessing them, He's giving them, He's imparting within them divine wisdom and knowledge. He Himself is sustaining them. This is like Lion's Den miracle. Alright. At the end of ten days their parents seemed better. They were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. And I've yet to have a vegetarian explain to me how the, the, just under the natural laws of nutrition and, and whatever how this is not miraculous. Tell me how this is not miraculous. Anyway, so the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink, kept giving them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. God even, uh, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And at the end of the days uh, when they graduated, they are get presented before Nebuchadnezzar, the king talked with them and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They entered the king's personal service. As to every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Not only were they top of their class, they were top of the nation. Top of the nation. You understand the difference there? It's like, I mean, it's one thing to be top of your class. But then, you know, how many college graduates get out of school and then get into the, the workplace and then they find that they have, to, they have more to learn? If they're humble, they recognize they don't know everything. If they're arrogant, they think they do know everything. And then they get on the job and they start interacting with their fellow engineers, their fellow programmers, their fellow whatever, and, and in some cases now they're working side by side, they're on a team, and they've got a team leader who's been doing this for 30 years. He's been doing this for decades. But, uh, you know, the snot-nosed college graduate gets there and he thinks, hey, uh, you know, you're doing it all wrong, and here's, uh, here's, you know, you old-timer, you fuddy-duddy, you're just out of touch. Here's the latest, Right? Now, it's curious to me. He is ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who are in all around, than his experienced veteran servants. And that's an even greater miracle than, than uh, just among the peers, you know. It's like the uh, the um, the kid that wins the school scrabble championship. And then he goes and he competes against the adults in the adult Scrabble Championship. And uh, as soon as our class is over, I'm watching the clock because at, at noon the, uh, the, the, nat- the national tournament's going to be over. And as of last night position one and position two were both kids. They were 12 and, and 14 years old. They were just kids. Including a girl from Houston named Cherish who I've played before. She's just a sweet, sweet girl. From Nigeria even, but she lives in, in Houston now. She's 12 years old and she was in second place as of last night. So I'm going to go and, and pull up the website and see because uh, it's a 31-game tournament. 28 games were finished as of last night. You do seven a day for four days. And then Wednesday morning is the final three games. And so these kids are uh, playing each other for uh, for the prize money. <laughs> All right. That's exciting. So, um, anyway, love-hate-antithesis establishing the clear inferiority. So in all of these better than, better than, two things are being contrasted. And there are and there, actually four things. There's, there's two pairings that are being contrasted. And don't get lost in just one pairing by itself. Because the, the pairing by itself and saying, well, this is better than that, it's only better than that Under, because of the second pairing, right? Because of the second set of circumstances or the second reality. That all other things being equal, these other two may not be ordered in that way. Okay? If that makes sense. So don't, don't lose focus when it says, uh, you know, better is little than great treasure. It's not under every circumstances that being a, a you know an impoverished vagabond is better than being Bill Gates. Okay? Is he still the richest guy or did he get passed? He got passed. Amazon Bezos is now you know okay. Well who cares? It's uh <laughs> the principle is still true. You know, would you rather be Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Michael Dell or whoever or Donald Trump, you know? Or would you rather be this 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 uh, impoverished vagabond well without the with that, with any other circumstances in view you know until you put these other circumstances in view oh wait a minute fear of the lord okay well that's a price i'm not willing to pay i'm not willing to throw away fear of the lord okay that's the that's the setting, same thing with uh meat and vegetables, all things being equal, vegetables don't beat meat until you put the love uh hatred contrast in there. then oh wait a minute, all right, now, okay, now the vegetables are better, and that's how that comes up all right, well, next week, we'll move on, and uh we'll get to the hot tempered man, actually, we covered that already. Um, we verse eighteen. We taught in the context of, uh, of verse one, where the gentle answer turns away wrath, and a harsh word stirs up anger. So, don't think we need to do that again. But then we get the hedgeway. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. This is my hedgeway verse, and we'll have some fun with that next week too. We'll tell more Scrabble stories. So, thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Thank You for the practical way in which um, Proverbs comes to life, in which Psalms comes to life. Thank You for Psalm 37 Father, and, and what a treasure. And uh, thank You for allowing us the time to uh, to, to read 40 verses and spend some uh, some enjoyable time in that chapter. Father, it's so powerful. And it's, uh, was it written 3,000 years ago or was it written today? Father, it's so pertinent, it's so accurate to where we are As we look around and we see the wicked are prospering and it seems like uh, the godless are are getting away with all kinds of stuff. And yet uh, Father we keep our eyes where they need to be. Thank you for that blessing. I thank you Father in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.